Good morning, Covenant Hope Church. This is a real joy for us to be able to meet this week. You know, there was a um, little time in the last few days when the elders thought that there, there was a chance we wouldn't be able to meet. So I can't tell you how wonderful and how joyful it is for us to be together, to gather again this week, and also to recognize what a privilege it is for us to come together and how important it is for us as Christians. This week, I saw a thread on Twitter by a Muslim man in America who could not go home. So he decided to celebrate Christmas and post his reflections on what Christmas was all about for him. Some of his observations are, Christmas is a part-time job from mid-November to the end of December. From the outside looking in, Christmas always seems pretty simple. This is a lie. Another observation, your gift budget does not matter. You can set your budget as high as you want, but the perfect gift will always be $10 too expensive. There is no winning. But finally, he writes, the religious aspect of Christmas is optional. If I was to suggest having a secular Ramadan to my mother, she would have a heart attack. Now, Many Christmas sermons will tell you how materialistic Christmas has become and how it has lost its meaning. And many preachers will tell you that it is the fault of Christians and that Christians need to do a better job of putting Christ back into Christmas. But I want to tell you that the idea that the birth of Jesus would be well understood and cherished in this world, by the world, is not biblical. We should not be surprised that people don't see Christ during Christmas. Even the actual Christmas day was a very humble event. It was a private birth in a lowly manger with visits from ordinary shepherds and some animals. In fact, Jesus' birth was met with widespread oppression and terror as his enemies tried to kill him. Nothing like the festive celebrations that you see going on in the malls and the wine. God chose to come to earth in a humble way. And God chose to reveal himself in this way. We shouldn't be surprised that people reject Christ even on Christmas Day. In fact, I suggest we should be amazed that anybody sees Christ during Christmas. For to see Christ exactly as he has revealed himself is a miracle of God. Christ reveals himself to us, but for one to see him, to know him as he truly is, is only possible if God opens blind eyes. So in the few verses that we are going to look at this morning, from the first chapter of John's Gospel, we are going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to that uh, chapter and those verses. There are two questions I want us to consider from this section. Number one is, how do we see? How do we see? Verses 9 to 13. And the second question is, what do we see? 
verse 14. How do we see verses 9 to 13? What do we see? Verse 14. I'll give away the answers. I'll spoil the ending for you right now. How do we see? It is simply because of the work of Christ. What do we see is the person of Christ. God does an amazing work in our lives so that we can see Jesus. We can behold him in all his glory. Let me read those verses again for us. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now Jesus, we are told in verse 9, is the light of the world. There are many metaphors that the Bible uses to describe who God is. And we are told not just that Jesus is the light, but he is the true light that gives light to all others. In other words, he is the source. Everyone else derives light from him. All of the light comes from him. Now, earlier in verse 4 in the same chapter, John, the writer of this book, tells us what this means. He says, Jesus, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus, who was the source of life, came to give life to this world. Now, what this means is that the condition of the world that we live in is dark. The darkness refers to the sin that exists within the hearts of people. We naturally love darkness and we hate the light. We love to do the things that those who are in darkness love to do. We love to do the things that displease God, that greatly grieve God, that go against his will for our lives. Those are the things that we love to do. Whether it's in our actions or in our thoughts or in our relationships with each other, we love, naturally, we love to do the things that are of darkness and we hate the light. Now John tells us that it is to this dark world that God shines the true light, the light of his Son. Now if all we knew was just that, if there was a full stop after we know that God shone the light of his son into a dark world, that itself would be amazing. That itself will tell us how gracious our God is. That itself will show how compassionate and kind he is. That he would send Jesus into this world that hates him, that are at rebellion against him, that are at enmity with him. But John tells us in verse 10 that the world was made through Jesus, but when he entered the world, the world did not recognize him. How astounding. People who were made in the image of God did not recognize who they were patterned after. God was walking among them. 
but they did not recognize it. The theological term that describes what Christ did when he entered into this world is called the incarnation of Jesus. The incarnation means Jesus took on human flesh. He entered our world. But just because Jesus entered, entered the world, it did not result in people accepting him and believing in him. The world did not know him. But of all the people in the world, the ones that would have been, should have been most prepared for, to receive Jesus was his own people. But they did not receive him. It is to them that God gave his law. It is to them that God sent his prophets who would help them to identify the Messiah when he comes. They had the temple. They had the sacrifices that pointed to Jesus. They had prophets like Isaiah who spoke very clearly about the arrival of Jesus in this world. They had kings like David who foreshadowed the rule of Christ in his kingdom. But even his own people did not receive him. And when Jesus came in his earthly ministry, he clearly showed signs. He taught very clearly how he fulfilled all the prophecies about him. But even then, his own people did not receive him. They refused to see what was so clear in front of them. If that was the case of his own people, then what hope is there for the rest of the world? You know, the coming of Jesus reveals a problem in ourselves that is hard for us to see. The incarnation of Jesus exposes our own blindness. The true light was shining, but we could not recognize him and receive him. Now, I want, I want you to imagine this for a second. Imagine that you're, you're sitting in a pitch black room. You cannot see anything. You cannot see the person that is sitting next to you. Now you tell your friend to go switch on the light. You hear the sound of the switch turning on, but you do not see anything. What would you conclude? I'm guessing you would say that your friend was playing a trick on you. I'm guessing you would say that maybe your friend was lying to you. But I'm guessing you would not conclude that perhaps the reason you can't see is because you are blind. You know, the Bible describes our condition as those who are blind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, referring to Satan, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus, who is the image of God. We are utterly unable and incapable to help ourselves. We cannot cause ourselves to see God. And from the moment we stepped into this world, we came with darkened hearts. We have chosen to stay in darkness. We've chosen to rebel against God. But with the coming of Jesus, we can know our problem. In John chapter 3, verses 19 to 20, Jesus says, This is judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. So how can we tell if we are blind? Well, according to this passage, the only way we know if we are blind or not is by the way we respond to Jesus. 
do we believe in him do we believe in him as he's revealed himself in the pages of scripture to us not just some figment of our imagination it's not enough that we think of him as a good man or even as just a prophet or as someone who is just a great example for us do we believe that jesus is god you know jesus didn't come just to show how blind we are he came so that we might see so that we might be given a new life so that we might be given the right to become children of god this is the great work that jesus did for us the greatest miracle that could happen to us jesus not only has the power to create physical lives each and every one of us sitting in this room exists because jesus created us each and every one of us continues to exist because jesus continues to uphold our lives but jesus has the power not just to create physical lives and to sustain our bodies but also to create spiritual lives in us you know all of us who are related to our parents know how much we are like our parents we share their dna but when we are born of god god comes and takes his residence within us he puts a spirit within us and that is what we need it is not enough that we are born physically it is necessary that we must be born again but according to this verse verse 13 this birth we are told cannot come by an act or will of humans no human is able to give themselves the life that christ has come to give so you cannot be born again by changing your life you may decide to hit the reset button start fresh next year break off bad habits take up some new ones all this is good i highly recommend it but none of it will wipe even one particle of your guilt before god none of your new year resolutions even if you do them can make atonement for your sins you cannot be born again by being a religious person you may decide to attend church regularly you may pray you may read the bible and i would say all this is important and necessary but all this will do no good if you trust in your religious works to save you your religious works cannot make atonement for your sins it cannot cleanse you of your sins you cannot be born again by looking to another man or woman for help no one apart from jesus has the power to create life within you no pastor no elder no phd in theology no parent as much as they love us has the power to create this life within us christ and christ alone has the power to do that you cannot even be born again by being born into a christian family this is the work that jesus came to do in his incarnation for us his ultimate goal was not just to come into this world and to dwell among us he came so that he can be a ransom for our sin he came to live a perfect life die the death and bear the judgment that we deserve for our sin from god and he came so that he can rise from the dead on the third day defeating death and satan because we couldn't now all those who come to jesus in repentance and faith he invites to have a part in his family 
he invites for them to become a child of God. Now, to be a part of the family of God is a great privilege that Christ has made possible. And it, it was possible because of his incarnation, his death, and his resurrection. You see, Jesus has come and done all this work to take us home. Even when we had no ability in and of ourselves to get to God, the distance was too great for us. God came down to save us. Friend, if you're here and you do not believe in Jesus, I hope you see that the condition that the Bible describes, darkness, hardened heart, sinful nature, is also describing your condition. And I hope you see and I hope that you are encouraged to know that Christ has come to do the work that we could never do, to be made a child of God. And I hope that perhaps today you would turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and be adopted as a child in the family of God. I pray that that will happen in your life today. You know, the coming of Jesus means that the world is also divided into two. There are only two categories of people in this world. And this passage describes for us what the two groups of people are. It is not Jews and Gentiles anymore. It is not those who are religious and non-religious. The world is no longer divided by nationalities or ethnicities or family backgrounds, how we look or what language we speak. When Jesus came, the world was divided into those who believe in him and those who don't. And those of us who do believe in Jesus, do you realize that we are completely unlike each other? But what we share in common is the most profound thing that we can have, and that is our faith in Jesus. And therefore, our relationships with each other is deeper than any other relationships we can experience in this world. Even our own family, our own blood, we share the same spirit and we will spend eternity together in the presence of God. You know, several years ago, many years ago actually, we took a trip, a short-term mission trip with some students to Lucknow, India, for an, to do an outreach in a village. And we had the opportunity to share the gospel in this predominantly Hindu village. And at the end of our time, one of the Christian families there told us that they were having a wedding celebration and they had cooked an enormous meal for the whole village. But because the rest of them were not Christians, they decided that they would not attend. And so it so happens that we were there that day and they asked us if we would join them and eat this meal with them. Even though we did not speak the same language, we all sat down together and we enjoyed this meal of this wedding celebration. And we had the entire village standing around us, looking at us, couldn't understand why we would all do this with the Christian who was part of the village. And in the end of the time, the father of the bride came to us and said, now I know what heaven will look like. And he was absolutely right. You know, the most visible demonstration of the relationship that we enjoy as those who believe in Jesus in this world is the local church. Our regular gathering, our promise to love each other, 
I promise to work together to see the gospel go out. When we do that consistently, it shows that we belong to Jesus. And as members of Covenant Hope, that's why we gather even when it is inconvenient. Even when we have to jump through hoops, we gather because we long to be with each other. And the things that we do here, when we sing songs to praise God, when we pray together, when we listen to the preaching of God's word together, when we experience the sacraments together, these are things that are basic for those who believe in Jesus who are part of the family of God. And as we regularly gather, we are reminded that God loves us and we love each other. Friends, also know what this passage says is that we cannot live in this world. Those who believe in Jesus cannot live in this world as though there is no difference between our lives and the lives of those who do not believe in Jesus. When Christ saved us, he gave us a new heart. Our values have been changed. We have a new treasure. We can enjoy many things in this world, but we must be clear with ourselves and with each other that we reject sin. We do not enjoy the fruit of darkness like we did at one point in our lives. We live according to our new identity. As children of God, we now live to please God. And friends, if you look at your life and you see that there is no difference between your life and the life of someone who does not believe in Jesus, I want to encourage you to examine your heart to see if maybe you haven't really trusted in Jesus. And if you have, I want to encourage you to consider repenting of your sin. Friends, before Christ came into the world, we had no hope of ever knowing God or seeing God. But through him, we have been given an amazing privilege to behold what we were blind to once. We have been given eyes by God's mercy that allows us to see Jesus for who he really is. So let's consider that second question. What do we see? You know, the miracle of new birth is one of the two miracles that are described in this passage. It's a great work that God brings about in the life of those who trust in Jesus. But the second is a great mystery, and that is the miracle of incarnation. As John tells us in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of God who is described here is the eternal word of God. There was never a time when Jesus was not. There was never a time when he did not exist. He had no beginning. But at one point in history, on the day we remember to be Christmas, Jesus took to himself human flesh. Two natures, divinity and humanity, at that point were united in one person. It does not mean that Jesus ceased to be God or he was any less God. No, he was fully God. The same substance as the Father when he entered into our world. But he took to himself our human nature as well. In Jesus, we see God and man joined together in one person, distinct but undivided. What that means is that Jesus, because of his incarnation, will forever be fully God and fully man. There will never come a time when Jesus will cast away his human nature. You know, there are many questions that we will 
have as we think about how this all works, the incarnation of Jesus. But we believe it to be true because it has been revealed to us in scripture. Knowing Jesus, even with our finite minds, even though we may not be able to understand everything, should cause us to marvel at the person of Christ. And because of the incarnation, there are great implications for our lives. Because Jesus became man, he really became like us in every way except for sin. He grew from being a baby to a child to a man. He felt hunger. He thirsted. He was tired just like us. He had to sleep. He felt pain. He experienced sorrow and grief. He was moved to anger and compassion. He was even tempted, but he did not sin. As a man, then he's able to sympathize with us in our weakness, and he can become our perfect mediator. The author of Hebrews says this in chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Because of the incarnation, because Jesus took to himself human flesh, you see, our bodies have significance. We may hate our bodies, we may be ashamed of our bodies, but our bodies have dignity, worth, and value, not only because we are made in the image of God, but also because Jesus took on human flesh and attached it to himself forever. It means that our bodies are significant. And because Jesus is fully God, fully, fully man, we see that God cares for us physically. We have a great hope of resurrection, bodily resurrection from the dead. And that is because of the incarnation of Jesus. You know, whatever illness might be plaguing our lives right now, whatever diseases that are threatening to end our life right now, whatever physical problems we were born with in our bodies when we came into this world, we know there is a great hope. All our sickness will end. It will not endure forever. Jesus transformed our bodies in his resurrection. And he promises to do the same for us as well. But Jesus is also fully God. And what that means is that his righteousness that he accomplished through his obedience in this world is not just the righteousness of a sinless man. The righteousness that is credited to us is not just the righteousness of an obedient human being. But because Jesus is fully God, the righteousness we have is the righteousness of God. Jesus has achieved infinite righteousness and that's what he gives to us. And finally, because Jesus is fully God, his blood that was shed on the cross was not just blood that was spilled by a man who was without blemish, but it was the very blood of God. You know, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul teaches the Ephesian elders when, he when he's about to depart from them that God purchased the church with his own blood. Do you see what that means? Christ's blood shed for us is of infinite value. And what that means is that we 
are of infinite value to God. My dear brother and sister in Christ, do you struggle with doubts about your salvation? Do you sometimes wonder if Christ is sufficient to save? Yes, the ransom of our soul is costly. But look, the price that was paid was divine blood. Study more about Jesus. Meditate on the person of Christ and you will know that you have an all-sufficient Savior. Finally, John tells us that in verse 14, Christ dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, in the Old Testament, God can continually made ways for him to come and dwell with his people. So when the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, God dwelt with them in the tabernacle, and later when they reached the promised land, God dwelt with them in the temple. And the reason why this was important for the people of Israel, God's presence with them, means that they had God's favor and grace upon them. In the incarnation of Jesus, not only has God come to dwell with his people in a better way, better than tabernacle and temple, but John says that because God has come, we can see his glory. No one has seen God's glory before. Moses, Joshua, David, they were prophets, but they were incapable of looking at God face to face. However, when Jesus came, he revealed the Father in the fullest possible way to us. Christ is the fullest expression of God's grace and truth for those who believe in him. And even though Jesus manifested God's glory during his life in this world, it was with clarity that was never seen before, it was still just a preview of what's to come, what will be seen at the return of Jesus. Throughout eternity, God will again dwell with his people, his redeemed people, his glorified people. Well, friends, to conclude, I want to say that because Christ has come, because we believe in him, we can rest assured that he is near to us and therefore we are near to him. We will never be separated from him. No matter how bad we are, no matter what doubts we may have, no matter how bad the circumstances of our life will be next year, we don't know what's coming. One thing is for sure, we will never be separated from Jesus. This is the assurance we can find as we look and behold the person of Jesus. The truth of incarnation must fill our hearts with gratitude and thankfulness to God for the great work that he has done for us. For all who know Christ by faith, this truth that we read in this passage, the truth that the word became flesh, brings great consolation and great joy. Let me pray for us. God, we are amazed as we think of who you have given to us. We are so grateful to you, Lord, for Jesus, for who he is, for revealing him to us, for opening our eyes so that we can see him clearly. And we thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done in our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would continually be transformed as we keep looking to Jesus, who is our Savior and God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.